Timothy chapter 1, and uh, we want to start reading verse 9. Who has saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death, and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles, for which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. We're going to stop right there in our reading. And just go back to verse 9 and remember as Timothy is receiving this letter, Paul is writing, he's saying, now listen, Timothy, uh, you have a calling, you have a gift of God. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but I want you to understand, I don't want you and one, to be ashamed of me. And when we get down to the end of this chapter, we'll find out why. Timothy might have had occasion to be ashamed of Paul. It says that everyone in Asia, now that was modern day Turkey, that was Galatians, Ephesians, Philipp, uh, not Philippians, but Colossians. All of those towns and many others that were in the general area, those, it says they had turned away from Paul. Paul was in prison and uh, uh, we read in another place that it talks about Paul's bonds that some were saying things against the Apostle Paul and accusing him falsely, kind of like, uh, well, Paul wanted to get arrested so everybody would feel sorry for him. And I mean, there's all kinds of things that are going on today, as in Paul's day. And Paul says, listen, Timothy, don't be ashamed of me. Because the afflictions that are in the gospel are part of the gospel. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you never suffer reproach, no one ever looks at you and say, oh, you're one of those crazy, funny mentalists. Or, uh, and these are very light compared to what Timothy and Apostle Paul went through. But there is a part of the gospel you are going to have to give up some things if you're going to serve Christ. I always get nervous when I hear people give testimonies. Well, you know, I could have been a really successful businessman and I was well on my way until I got saved and I gave it all up so I could serve Christ. I just want to go uh, do something that is not polite to do in public or even in private, but uh, uh, barf. Amen. Uh, there is nothing you can give up for Christ. That's worth anything. Amen. Amen. And Paul's telling Timothy, listen, don't be ashamed of me. Don't let people talk you into a Christianity that is acceptable with the world. Because that is not the Christianity of this book called the Bible. Now, in our day of extremes, let's be careful. That doesn't mean you have to go down. Uh, the month of June is coming up and there will be the gay pride parade in uh, 
uh, Greenwich Village and the next one in um, Jackson Heights. And uh, Don't go in there with incendiary banners and get yourself beat up and say, I was suffering for Christ. That's absurd. Uh, by the way, the only thing you're going to accomplish should you choose such a pattern is to make yourself an obstacle to the gospel. Uh, we don't go in the bars and witness to people in the bars. They don't go in the bars to get the gospel. They go in the bars to get something else. And some of you used to live that kind of life and you know why you went there. Listen, we wait till they come out to give them the gospel. Amen? We want to give people the gospel. If it doesn't cost you anything to serve Christ, then maybe you're not serving Christ. That cost can be very high at times. In fact, Paul will say in the book of Philippians, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things. How many of you remember what comes next? And do count them as what you find on the sidewalk in New York City. That I may win Christ. He said, I haven't given up anything for Jesus Christ. Now, Paul had degrees. In fact, Paul's education was such an issue that the governor said, much learning doth make thee mad. He knew who Paul was. He knew his pedigree. And he was blaming it on his education. If you've ever met a really educated person, sometimes you... Uh, my mother has a favorite little saying. I hope she doesn't get She says, son, there's only a hairline between a crackpot and a genius. Which side of the line are you on today? <laughs> but listen. Be thou a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Now, this is the power, the work of God. Number one, He has saved us. I don't care where you are. I don't care what you've lost. I don't care what has happened to you. They can't take your salvation away. Amen? He has saved us and called us with a holy calling. Now, uh, sometimes you may wonder why I spend uh, a lot of time on talking about Calvinism, and I talked about it this morning, and right there it is again, is we have a new type of Calvinism coming up in, in our society today that is so foreign to the gospel. Be careful. It's, uh, it's a movement that is... Um, uh, literally going into churches and destroying their usefulness for Christ. Um, I, I met a guy, well, actually I've met two of them. They're purpose-driven Calvinist. And uh, being the smart aleck that I am sometimes, uh, that means God be preordained before the foundation of the world that we show up to church in an Hawaiian shirt and shorts. Uh, because that's what purpose-driven is all about. And Calvinism is God-planned everything. And so I, I put it that way and, and because I, I, do want to, uh, I do want to mock those people. Uh, because they do not bring forth the cause of Christ. By the way, um, 
in, in the class I took in church history, the modern Calvinists have come to a brand new conclusion, which contradicts everything Calvinism teaches. You see, Calvinism is supposed to teach that once you're saved, you're always saved. The only problem is you can't know that you're part of the elect. So you have no eternal security. And they are saying that this is the teachings of John Calvin, and I, I'm not going to argue with the Calvinist about what John Calvin taught. I'm going to argue against them with what the Bible teaches, amen, because none of that is true. Here's what the Bible says. It says, who hath called us with a holy calling, not according to our works. Did you get saved by what you did? If you can't get saved by the things you do, how are you going to serve God by the things you do? You know, when we call somebody, how many of you remember in the yard at school? We're going to play kickball, we're going to play softball, we're going to play baseball at lunch. Who's the captains? Of course, the two best players were the captains, right? And then they began to pick people. Now, why did they pick people? They picked them because of their ability. Isn't that right? Now, how many of you are like me? You were the last one that got picked, right? Um, I wasn't always the last one, but uh, I just I never wanted to be captain. But anyway, the whole truth of the matter is we pick people because of their ability. God picks people because of their inability. How many of you could say amen to that? You see, it's not this idea that God had it all scripted. The idea is that God wants to do a work in you that you are not physically capable of doing. You are not spiritually capable of doing it. There's a lot of talk today about the gifts of the Spirit. And someone says, well, how can I know whether it's a gift of the Spirit? If you're in discipleship, we just spent some time going over this a couple lessons ago. And, and the simple truth is, if you can do it on your own outside the local church, it's not a gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gifts are reserved for service in His church. Uh, we need to have Dr. Smith come and preach again and... And uh, how many remember the last time he was here? It was quite a while back, 2002. We had him here for our, our 10th anniversary. Or no, was it 15? Maybe it was uh, 2007, whatever it was. It was several years back. We had Dr. Smith come in, and he, he gave this testimony. None of you will believe it. Everybody laughed. He said, we never thought shy, timid little Pete Montoro would do anything like what he's doing. And everybody just started laughing. But you see, that's the way I was when I was in high school. Everybody says, oh, you're just, Peter's just like you. No, Peter's just like I am now. Peter was not, I was not like Peter when I was Peter's age. I, I, was, I couldn't stand up in front of people. It was, it was a terrifying thing. I hope and I pray the reason I'm able to do what I do today is not because of what is in me, because of what... God is doing in me. That's what Paul's trying to say here. The work that he does, just like he saves us, you didn't get saved because of what you did. You got saved because of what Jesus did. You're not going to serve. 
because of what you can do. God does not pick you for your ability. He picked you because he wants eternity to be spent by Christians saying, God, you did that through that? God be praised. Amen? Can we say amen to that? You see, God knew what we would do. And God will give you everything you need to serve him. Look at the next verse here. You say, but, but it says he did it before the world began. Yes. But where was the grace and the purpose given to us? In Jesus Christ. Amen. In Christ Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's none about us. By the way, the definition of the word worship is the humbling of myself so that God could be lifted up. That is true worship. How many of you have ever tried to grapple with something very heavy? What happens? As you pick up, you go down. Isn't that true? It forces you down. As you grab a hold of the goodness and the love and the grace and the power of God, guess what's going to happen? You're going to go down. But as you go down, you'll be able to lift him up. That is worship. That's what Paul is speaking of here. Now, let's look at verse 10. But is now made manifest. Now, I like things to be plain. Uh, I try to speak and preach in such a way that most people will not misunderstand what I say. But there will always be people who misunderstand, and that's a whole other subject for another day. But this idea of manifest is making plain. A ship, as it used to, and even to this day, they still, when they come in, a cargo ship has to provide a manifest. In that manifest, everything that is in that ship is supposed to be written down. And so as our uh, border control and our uh, uh, harbor agents look in there and the Coast Guard, they want to read that manifest and it says, 40 crates of watermelon from Iceland. This is weird. And so they open up the watermelon and find them stuffed with drugs. <laughs> and I don't know, it, but they've done all kinds of things. Where was it? I can't remember what country it came from, but a few years ago, actually, they had coffee beans. You know what they were? They were dyed and molded cocaine pellets, all packaged to look and smell like coffee beans. Now, when that shipment was made manifest, there were some people that were very unhappy because it was millions of dollars of illegal drugs that were confiscated and you know what we say about that? Amen. We want the Lord to get stop all that foolishness. Now, you know what happens in most religions? They don't want to make things manifest. They want to make it complicated. Because the more complex it is, the more you need the preacher to straighten it all out. Amen. 
and I like to be needed. It's a very important job. No. Listen, God wants his word made plain so that all can understand it. It says, but is now made manifest. How was this made manifest? How was the work of God made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ? The greatest revelation is the life of Christ. The greatest illustration of God's love to mankind is the life that Jesus lived those 33 and a half or so years here on this earth as he walked among men. As in this morning's message, God gave his only begotten son. It says, but now is made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Now, Jesus spent his ministry here on earth about three and a half years of his 33 and a half years life. He spent that ministry training 12 men. One of them was Judas Iscariot. Did Jesus pick his apostles because of their great ability? No. In fact, when it was all said and done and the, and the surviving apostles were standing there just months after the crucifixion and resurrection and, and being examined by the same Sanhedrin that had condemned Jesus to death, what does the book of Acts tell us? They took note of them that they had been great preachers. No. They took note of them that they were very educated and very able men. No. They took note of them that their only redeeming quality was they had spent time with Jesus Christ. You see, don't take the verse before it out of context of the verse after it. When Jesus was here, his ministry was his. The disciples helped him in no way. He helped the disciples. Jesus didn't need the disciples. I read a quote in a book by John Avanzini. It wasn't his book, but it was just about him that he had made the statement that Jesus wore designer jeans and wore Rolex watches and had so much money he had to have 12 apostles to guard it. Now that's blasphemy. That is blasphemy. Jesus did not need one bit of help from the disciples. What did he tell Peter in the garden? He said, put your sword up. I got to finish the work that God gave me to do. And then he healed the man that Peter had removed his ear. You see, Jesus abolished death by tasting death for all men. Jesus abolished death by coming out of the tomb. I like what one preacher said, and I can't remember who said it, and I'm sure many have. They didn't, the tomb was not opened on Resurrection Sunday morning because Jesus needed to get out. The tomb was opened so the world could see in. Amen? He abolished death. He hath brought life and immortality to light. You know, there was a lot of things about the gospel that were hidden. 
Do you think Abraham really understood all the points of Jesus' vicarious death and atonement and resurrection on the cross? He had a little picture more than any other Old Testament saint because God had let him take his son up to top of Mount Moriah and just before the, he was to plunge the knife and, and cut his throat and drain the blood and burn the body, the angel called to him and stopped him. And Abraham said, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. Jesus' cross was planted in the earth on that same mountain, just a little bit out of the city walls of Jerusalem. They were not built in the days of Abraham. But the best we can tell today, they call it the Dome of the Rock, that Islamic mosque was supposed to be built on the very spot that Abraham sacrificed Isaac, of course, the Quran says Ishmael. I wonder why. You talk about uh, convenient textual rewrites. Uh, anyway, another subject. But what it's saying here is, who hath abolished death and hath brought to light. God has showed us the way of life and eternal life, immortality. And Paul says, listen, I'm called to preach the message of Jesus Christ. Nothing more, nothing less. He said, I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. We believe that God calls men to the ministry. Now, my wife and I, before we became husband and wife, we had several serious discussions, and one of the things that we talked about, she said, I, I'm just not sure I'm called to New York City. Man, I was praying hard. I said, boy, what am I going to do? And I, I believe the Lord gave me this answer. And it may sound a little strange or arrogant to you, but it's Bible. I say, God does not call women to the ministry. I said, I'm actually your calling. And she looked at me and I went, oh boy, here it comes. I've stepped over the line. She said, I can live with that. I said, woohoo, that's what we wanted to hear, amen. You see... Don't get too excited, Peter. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, it's still exciting almost 22 years later, amen? Listen. God gives us direction in our lives. But we have to choose to follow that direction. God is not the author of sin. He does not cause it. He does not make sin happen. But Paul said, I was appointed. Find God's appointment for your life and live it. We need Christians in every walk of life. Amen? Someone, one preacher said, God only calls people to the ministry. Well... I'm glad that God has called some people to sit in the pews. Otherwise, those of us in the ministry would have nobody to preach to. Amen? 
I'm glad God has called some people to go out and, and earn a good living and then come in and give to the church so that we can pay the bills and go forward for Christ. I'm glad that God calls each one of us to serve Him in so many different ways. And Paul said, listen, my appointment is a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. Now, get where he's going, the next verse here. For which cause I also suffer these things. He said, God's calling in my life is the reason of my suffering. Now, how many of you have ever had, I mean, real suffering, pain in your life? I mean, things that just kind of turned your world upside down. What's the first thing you want to do? You want to remove the cause, do you not? I mean... No, I don't know if I should go here or not, but how many of you have eaten something that was really bad and it caused much pain and suffering? And what does your body do? It removes it. Amen? Because you don't want to keep that bad thing that's making you sick inside. You've got to get it out one way or another. That's not what Paul was doing. Paul said, this suffering is in my life because of my service for Christ. I'm not ashamed. I'm going to embrace Christ. Amen? He said, this is the cause. He says, nevertheless, in spite of the fact that God has allowed this suffering to come into my life, my, the suffering in my life is because of my service to Christ. He says, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of being in prison. I'm not ashamed of being counted by all that see me and all normal people as a common criminal. To be accounted as a servant of Christ is all that meant anything to the Apostle Paul. The day may be coming, we do not know, where it may become against the laws of this nation to serve Jesus Christ. Guess what? You better keep serving Christ. Amen? Now, praise the Lord. It's not here yet. Don't listen to the crackpots who say we need to overthrow the government of the United States. Uh, if you're a historian, you'll understand what I'm saying. If not, just ignore it. But God save us from Oliver Cromwell. Uh, and if you don't know what that means, study some English history. But uh, the man who came to deliver became the greatest tyrant in English history. Just ridiculous. That's not what we need. What we need is for God's people to serve God. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. You know why? Here's what Paul says. He says, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. He says, I know Jesus Christ. My faith and my trust is in him, and if I'm going to have to choose between him and anything or anyone else, I'm going to choose Jesus because I'm persuaded 
that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. He says, I'm persuaded that Jesus is going to keep my soul. I'm persuaded that Jesus is going to make the best decisions for me. Now, where was Paul writing this from? The Mamertine Dungeon. He said, but I'm persuaded that God knew the best decision for my life. I'm convinced. Now, we use that word persuaded today. It's, it, it's become a very soft word. We need to persuade. That's not what Paul is saying. He said, I am absolutely convinced beyond any shadow of a doubt that I know whom I have believed. And I am not going to be moved from the fact or from the belief that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him. What did Paul commit unto him? All Paul had to give was his life. He said, God, you have my life in this lifetime. You have my life in the next. God, it's all about you. Now, we've gotten to verse 13. Let's just read these last uh, four or five verses here. It says, Hold fast the form of sound words, which thou hast heard of me in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Now, how many of you remember back to our study of the book of 1 Timothy? It just seemed that every other word, and it's not every other word or every other verse, but Paul, the theme of 1 Timothy, the first book that Paul wrote to Timothy, was simply this. Paul, I mean, Timothy, as a young man, you've got to make sure that that church stays doctrinally pure. You can't allow anyone to teach anything but truth in that church. And that was Timothy's job. And the thing he says, Timothy, hold fast. Hold fast the form of sound words. And there's an awful lot going on today that sounds good on the surface. In fact, I could ask how many people here have read The Purpose Driven Church or The Purpose Driven Life. Don't raise your hand if you've read that book. Uh, I hope you haven't. I encourage you not to read those books. The best commentary on The Purpose Driven Life I've ever heard was not from a preacher, but was from a talk show host, Rush Limbaugh. He gave the greatest explanation that I've ever heard of the purpose-driven life. How many of you remember in Atlanta, Georgia, several years back, the convicted murderer got out of the jail cell and killed a guard and took another guard uh, captive, kidnapped her and forced her to take him to his home, her home and hide him from the authorities? And this was her explanation. I used the purpose-driven life in my Bible to save my life. Now, and then Mr. Limbaugh in his radio show right after that went through and explained that in such and such a chapter and such and such a paragraph, it says, God put his desires in your heart. You need to write them over basically what is going on in your life. Don't forget those desires that are within you. I'm sitting here going, wow. Boy, I turned up the radio. I wanted to listen to this, because, and I, I remember it. But see, here's what the purpose. See, the purpose-driven life is to fulfill your desires. That's not the purpose of the Bible. 
God says the desires of your heart are desperately wicked and deceitful of all things. God does not want to fulfill your purposes. He wants to rewrite them. The idea of you explaining to God what is in your heart and God giving it to you is Buddhism. Look it up. Study it. It's not scripture. It says hold the form of sound words. There's an awful lot that goes on today that sounds good on the surface, but once you get into it, it is a poison that will destroy you and draw you away. I've chosen never to read those books because I've seen what it's done in the lives of preachers who have read them. I knew pastors that once preached the Bible is the word of God, the, your King James Bible, I mean straight down the line, never miss a lick in today. Sunday morning service is nothing short of a rock concert with a 10-minute sermonette at the end to make everybody happy. Let me tell you something. That scares me to death because I counted these men my superiors. Some of them were men I looked up to in the ministry. And I'm saying if that filthy book can do that to them, I don't want it doing that to me. I'll just stick with this book. I got a letter from a preacher one time and it said, We've changed the ministry of our church. We now have the purpose-driven church and the Bible in that order. I said, there is something, something really wrong. And you study Rick Warren. He has now come up with a plan of peace that is going to work for the whole world. He is making the country of Rwanda the first purpose-driven nation. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hold fast the form of sound words. Don't allow yourself to be drawn away from the gospel. Now, here's the words that we're supposed to hold, which thou hast heard of me. Now, why could Paul make such a statement? You hold fast the form, you hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me. Why? Because all scripture is given by inspiration of God. We'll get there when we get to chapter 3. Paul said, listen, what I'm speaking to you is not from me. Remember, my salvation didn't come from me. My service didn't come from me. My calling didn't come from me. It was all from Jesus Christ. Now you hold fast what I taught you, Timothy. Don't let go of it. Because the words which you've learned from me, what are they? They're in faith, obedience to God's word, love, how God's word flows through my life to affect other people's life, which is in Christ Jesus. The only way you can love other people the way you ought to is because of Jesus in your soul. Amen? Then he says, Thou, uh, thou knowest that all they which are in Asia be turned... Oops, I'm sorry, verse 14. That good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. Now, two things. Paul is writing Timothy. He's introducing himself again, not that he needed to, to Timothy, but he's wanting Timothy to remember. As Paul's sitting in the dungeon, he's remembering. He said, I remember when we laid our hands on you and gave you that gift. He said, now you hold it fast. How? By the Holy Ghost. Because that gift wasn't given to you except the Holy Ghost be in you. 
The only way you're going to keep it is the Holy Ghost working in your life. You hold fast. You keep that thing by the Holy Ghost. And then he goes on, and these are some of the saddest words in all the scriptures. He says, all they that be in Asia have turned away from me. Now, to whom did the people in Asia primarily owe their salvation to? It was the ministry of Paul and Barnabas followed by the ministry of Paul and Silas that built these, established these churches and built them. They were the first to go to these cities, Iconium and uh, all the rest of these. Whoops, I'm getting mixed up here, but um, they had uh, the churches there in uh, Galatia, the church in Ephesus, the church in Coloss, the church in Thyatira, the church, all the seven churches of the book of Revelation had been started in the ministry and through the ministry of Paul the Apostle. And he said, they've all turned away from me. My history teacher uh, in, in grad school was talking about how that almost every false doctrine that we see of today, the formation of what would become the Orthodox and later the Catholic Church, what all happened in the area of Galatia. And you can see by studying the book of Galatians the foundational moves that were already being made in the life of Paul that would bring them into subjugation to that monstrosity that is called the universal visible church of Jesus Christ. It's not. It has nothing to do with the Jesus of the Bible. Now, how would you like to be in prison and say, listen, all the churches I started no longer agree with me? But that's what Paul was doing. Because that's what was happening. And he says, of whom is Phygelus and Hermogenes? I tried to look these guys up. You know what? We just know that they were probably at the church in Ephesus where Timothy had done a lot of work and they were doing their work. They were leading people away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says, The Lord have mercy on the house of Onesiphorus, for he oft refresheth me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he was in Rome, he, besought, he sought... I'm sorry... He, be, he sought me out very diligently and found me. The Lord grant unto him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day. And in how many things he ministered unto me at Ephesus, thou knowest very well. Here's what Paul is saying. He said, listen, there's so many people abandoning me and turning their back on the simple message of the gospel. He said, but God sent Onesiphorus. God always has his people to encourage you know what we ought to pray tonight? God, make me like Onesiphorus. Somebody said, who was he? He's just a man with a very strange name. That's all. That's all we know about him. He must have been at the church of Ephesus. Timothy knew him. First Timothy, Timothy was stationed at the church of Ephesus while he went into Macedonia. Then later on, Timothy would go other places while Paul was somewhere else. Paul is now in prison. He's writing. He says, you remember Onesiphorus. God used him to encourage me when everyone else was down. Listen, God will use other people. But instead of you waiting for Onesiphorus to come along, how about you pray that God would make you Onesiphorus? 
Amen? How many of you thought we'd get through that many verses tonight? wasn't too painful, I hope. But Paul is introducing himself. He's just putting this book together. And he's saying, listen, don't be ashamed of me. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed to suffer. He said, I'm suffering. They tell us that in that dungeon where Paul was being kept for the last two years of his life, it was literally built into the underground sewers of the city of Rome. Now, could you imagine what a dark, dank, foul place that was? Escape was impossible. If you dug through the wall, which were solid stone, you would only be drowned in the sewers of Rome. Escape was impossible. Here was Paul. He said, I'm not ashamed. The little suffering that has been in my life, the, the great suffering, actually, that has been in my life is there because of my service for Christ. But I know he's in control, and I'm just going to keep trusting him no matter what. And Timothy, you do the same. Because God will keep that which is committed to him. Because it's not about you. It's about God. Sometimes in the ministry, it's real easy for a preacher to get thinking about himself. And you'll run out of self real quick, let me tell you. In fact, God makes sure you run out of self. So that he, you can get a hold of him. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. For your word, we thank you for these letters that this letter that Paul has written to this young preacher, Timothy. We ask that you would help us to examine and investigate these words, and Lord, that we would be careful of all the strange winds of doctrine that blow around us, that we would have our souls anchored upon the testimony of the Apostle Paul as recorded in the scriptures. Lord, that we would not allow ourselves to be drawn away. But we would keep that which you've given us by the Holy Ghost. Please, Lord. Help us to be like Onesiphorus. Help us to be like Paul and like Timothy. Give us grace that we may serve you in these last days. In Jesus' name we pray. For